make it go away. It's still there. Oh, hey. I don't know how to make mine go away either. Hold All on. you can see is my melting candle face. It's dripping off of my bones. <laughs> All you can see is my jowls. I'm proud of my Polish jowls. It's a song I wrote. <laughs> I'm I'm really proud of your songwriting ability. I am too. Super, super I'm not going to hide it under a basket. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should shine. just... Um, you should maybe record an album. <laughs> yes, and I'll just sell it to family members at holiday parties. <laughs> no, you'll you'll set up a little like you'll put down a little like pejmina at the front of the classroom every time you teach, and you'll just like <laughs> you'll just like display your wares. <laughs> you can get collectible used silver spoons. Handmade jewelry and songs. <laughs> you've collected through the ages. Yeah. Um. So how's it going? Oh, it's plugging right along. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, It's like immense uncertainty in the air, I feel like. Um, is it uncertainty or is it certain? You know how you can be certain that something needs to shift, but then that unlocks just like, I don't know how to do that. Does that make sense? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Like uncertainty is sometimes certainty, but discomfort with the, with the answer. Yes, or just a, like, just an inability to know what to do with that information. You know, like, oh, that's something that needs to happen. I don't really know how. <laughs> um. Not to be vague or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to be vague. Um, the uncertainty that is known is the one where it's like, oh, man, but what if we lose something we didn't want to lose? Yeah. It's a gripping. Yeah. So let's talk about what we might be talking about. What we might be talking about in terms of uncertainty? Yeah. <laughs> or what we might be talking Certainly. about in terms of the next hour. <laughs> Certainly. Let's talk about uncertainty. Everybody grab a number two pencil. <laughs> We're gonna have some fun with paper and charcoal <laughs> and dreams. <laughs> I should not be allowed in public <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Oh, but it's so delightful when you are. You know what? I realized something um, uh, because I've been I've had a couple of opportunities to speak publicly recently. And I realized that because my sense of self-worth is so inherently broken, I feel at liberty to speak exactly what's on my mind, much to the detriment of (laughs) um. My future the people who might be in earshot. <laughs> like, it's true. Like there is a part of me that's like, 
it's not like bravery. It's absolute just self-abnegation. Yeah. Like I am comfortable throwing myself off of the bridge semantically. Yeah. But it's not because I am so confident or sure in what I'm saying. It's because I just, I don't care. I'm nine. I feel like I'm 9,000 years old because I just got the shit beat out of me this decade. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know what it is? I don't have anything to lose in the yoga community. I have nothing to lose. I am yeah. not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to make any friends because I don't make my living at this. Yeah. I, although I've been thinking about it like, oh, you know, I've really been enjoying this. I, maybe I should kick maybe I should maybe I should kick it up a notch. Maybe I should teach more and 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 build more of my life and more of my income around yoga. I've thought about that a lot. It rears its head from time to time. And then I think, "Oh, nope. As soon as you do that, you're going to start to censor yourself. You're going to start teaching weird." Whereas I mean, right now it's like, okay, well, I'm going to teach exactly what I want to teach from the exact animal instinct <laughs> that I have. And well, I don't know the, to play to play uh, the other side of that coin. I am very much in a place of like, I have never given myself permission to just teach. It appears to the outside world that I have been a full time yoga teacher for ten years. But I haven't actually been a full-time yoga teacher for 10 years because that would imply that I actually had time and energy to put into the development of teaching. Um, and for better or for worse, that has always been mitigated by managing or owning a studio. Um, so my mind often goes to, well, what if... The first thought in my head when I wake up in the morning is, oh, crap, did I forget to order toilet paper for the studio? Like, what if that part of my brain just didn't have to operate? Like, what would happen to my ability to practice and then therefore my ability to teach? A hundred percent agree. Which is slightly different than what you're saying, because it's not like you're necessarily, like, you are consulting with folks, which is a different in your non-yoga job, in your non-yoga teaching job, which is different than, like, taking care of a space. Totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think both sides of the coin are true. It's just hard for me to have the other sides, the other side perspective, because I feel like because I don't actually know what it is to just teach. I think that will be a good thing. Uh, to have that experience, like you didn't even get that at Back Bay because you were always yeah, a space keeper. Yep. Um, which is not to say that I don't like having a space of my own to teach in. I, like I really do. Um, it's just sort of like... Uh, 
And this would be a, certainly a different story if I was living in the middle of nowhere and paying like a third of the rent that I was paying. You know what I mean? Like that would be a different, different conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky, tricky thing to think about. And it's not that I haven't thought about it before, but I have to say like in the past six months, there's been much more of a like... much more of a desire for that or rather much more of an urgency to put my attention on the things that I want to put my attention on. It's just like, you're also allowed to, to want to do something different and change things. Yeah. Like there is this like legacy impulse. I think at least mm-hmm. from my experience of you've arrived, Hardcore. you're doing it. And now you, <laughs> this is what you do forever. Yeah. This is it. You're not allowed to change. Yeah, But, you know, the average American has something like five careers now. We're allowed to have seasons of things that we love. And how we love them is allowed to evolve. And to truly love them, it has to evolve. Yeah. I don't know. I do know. Whenever I say I don't know, it's, ugh, I'm really uncomfortable with what I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know... The other thing is, I'm just, do it. We're dying. We're dying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I feel that. Um, So speaking of you speaking in public. (laughs) Oh, wait, can we talk about my MRI? Did I talk about this on Unrolled yet? It's not that interesting. Let's do it anyways. Was there a new MRI? Yeah, the one for my hip. Oh, I know. We didn't. Talk about this. Okay. So, like, I got, you know, some spine stuff from throwing the hammer and whatnot. And um, after I had Frankie, which now was, like, two years and a couple months ago, had, like, just really intense hip pain, like, to the point where, you know, I'm limping. And then it goes away, and I'm okay. And I've just been doing normal activities, been hiking Mount Washington, and, you know, keeping up with my yoga practice, but changing it a little bit for that side. And going to PT with... You know, people that are dictatorial level that I trust that, you know, are Eastern, Western modalities. Like, I've been doing a lot of work to figure out, A, what the hell is going on with my hip, but B, what can I do to, to get out of pain? And, you know, after two years of serious inquiry with this, doing what I'm quote unquote supposed to fucking do, I was like, you need to take a motherfucking picture of this goddamn cunt sucking fucking hip because it hurts. <laughs> and I can't, yeah. like, I need to know. And he's like, okay. So we could, he's like, I think it's your spine. I think it's the spine radiating nerve pain out to your hip. And I was like, okay, well, he's like, so let's do a picture of your spine. And I was like, well, we already have a picture of my spine. We know it's jacked. What we don't have is a picture of my hip. So when we start there and he was like, okay. And I was pleased that he listened. And then, you know, I had this spine thing, which by the way, nobody gives you a heads up when they give you an x-ray that they're about to do an injection for your hip that a whole lot of your vagina is going to be hanging out. And I really wish I had gotten an adequate heads up on that because it was like a (laughs) 60-year-old dude that's like talking to me about vacation and like going easy with the golfing and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I'm like, my chotch is out. My chotch is out and you didn't give me a heads up. I can't have small talk with you right now. (laughs) I feel like we should just, we should mic you every time you go to the doctor just so that we have a... An intermittent podcast of just Kate interacts with medical professionals. 
you know, so I, I got I got through it. Your new web series. Yeah, and luckily, I'm dead inside from the waist down anyway, so it's fine. But And then I got the image, and I get a call from the doctor, and he's like, yeah, so your labrum's torn. And I was like, I know. I could have told you that two years ago, and in fact, I did. Uh, but nobody believed it because it didn't present as a labrum tear. And then I started doing some research online, and apparently – there is a push in the medical community from one specific doctor who's like, hey, this is really common, labral tears from birth that take two years on average to diagnose. And it's like, uh, I'm going to butcher it. It's like, a, it's in a specific place in the hip that's basically from how we have a lot of women give birth. And it's basically from malasana. It's from malasana. Too hard. <laughs> it's a too hard malasana. Meaning and it tears the labrum, like so. You're from, on your back in malasana. Gotcha. In, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. And it's usually on one side or the other because one person pushes harder on that leg or whatever. But it, it, yeah. you know, it's like turns out it's super textbook. The thing that's not textbook is the medical community doesn't know to screen for it. So postpartum, women come in with hip pain and they don't screen for like it being a labrum tear in this one particular spot because they're like, I don't know. So women go through PT and all this shit that's actually not effective at all, and they just live in pain for like two and a half years. So I, you know, have to now decide between a cortisone shot and arthroscopic surgery. And I also know that like there's tons of people walking around with labrum tears that don't feel pain, just like there are tons of people walking around with herniations that don't feel pain. I just happen to fall into the camp of people with labral tears and deep (laughs) disc, you know, sequestration that experience extreme pain. Yeah. So what the, you know, like what the fuck do I do? And I have like the yoga teacher in my brain that's like, don't get the surgery don't do it don't even get the shot just like go to an acupuncturist and sit in an ice bath and fucking punch yourself in the tits <laughs> until you feel better <laughs> about the pain you're in that's funny because because i just realized that my my reaction like if you were to tell me that you were going to go in and get uh, a spinal surgery my reaction would be different than getting a cortisone shot versus surgery for the hip which is like not not a not like an advice giving, but like I just find it interesting that there are some times when people present with like oh, I'm gonna go get this surgery where something inside of me is like mm, I don't know about that. Um, not that I would like share that with them, but that's like my inner reaction. Uh, but when you said cortisone versus ortho- orthoscopic surgery, I was like just go get the fucking surgery because the cortisone like. It's just know, cortisone just, buys it, you time. It, it buys you exactly. And this exactly. is what happened with my spine. I ended up getting a cortisone shot in a couple places in my spine, which was a fucking intense thing to get. I'm not going to lie. I'm sure. I had a vagal response. I was it was fucking terrifying. But I got it and it I think it helped. And I ended up not getting spinal surgery and I attribute it to the amount of time I had to like just have time not being in pain with my spine that like now I I don't need or want spinal surgery. Yeah. And I wonder if a similar thing might happen with the hip, except it's been two years. Yeah. So like, I don't know what's going to happen in six weeks of not being in pain because of a cortisone shot that would make it so I didn't ultimately have to get surgery. Well, you know, I actually, well, I I don't know this, but I, I feel anecdotally that there are more people who have gotten that 
labral ter- surgery, um, that it might be worth just like reaching out to be like, Hey, anyone, if you've gotten labral tear surgery, hit me up loudrobinson at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, cause I know the recovery is not easy. It's like two to three weeks on crutches and shit. And, um, it's not a joke. Yeah. Also, I mean, the other thing is my doctor, I said to my doctor, so if I just don't get the surgery is me walking around, practicing yoga, standing on one foot, climbing mountains is, is living that way going to hurt my leg more to just continue to use it. And he said, no, you're not going to be in a process of degeneration just by using it. He said, you're just going to be in pain. Um, and then I read, of course, cause I'm an idiot. I went onto the internet to say, is that true? And the internet's like, yeah, if you want a hip replacement, keep riding that sucker torn hard and you'll eventually get arthritis and inflammation. You'll deepen the tear. You could possibly like do things that lead you to need a hip replacement, which is like, you know, this freaking surgery du jour for yoga teachers. So, um, but I also think it's the surgery du jour for everybody. Is it? I thought it was needs. Like I, 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 there, there are partially because they've gotten so good at the surgery oh. that there's less, like, and the surgery lasts longer than it used to. Um, like there, there used to be a significant. Um, I remember f- folks like delaying their surgery because they they didn't want to get the surgery and then have to have it again when they were older. Um, oh. But my understanding is now that the replacements last a lot longer, so there's less. Um, trepidation around doing it at a slightly you know like before things are really extreme you know um so wow um i think i would i would bet that if you compare the number of like perfect like people get all up in arms like well there are really famous yoga teachers getting uh hip surgeries i'm like yeah but then what about just the number of human beings who have hip surgeries and like compare that to the number of yoga teachers and like yeah you some of these yoga teachers like do things with their bodies that are akin to being a professional athlete so like give them a break like there yeah they might need to get a hip surgery at at 70 like who the fuck cares so does half the 70 year olds on the face of the yeah, planet yeah that's a really good a... point <laughs> like i don't like, like to shame people for doing an activity that caused yeah i don't know I'm, I'm of two minds with this one is use your body enjoy it and land in the casket like banged up and bruised having really enjoyed your body you know like yeah. just go and then there's part of me that's like, yeah, but if yoga teachers, a lot of them are getting hip surgeries from repetitive use or from like seeking end range motion or whatever. And then we're teaching people in the way that we practice, aren't we? Isn't that harming? Is that, you know, are we practicing oh, absolutely. Uh, both, and like Both of those things are true. Yeah. And for me, it's like I look at malasana and malasana is not the cause of this, but like I wonder about sometimes now how I sit or like the frequency with which I do particular shapes and whether that is helping or hurting my hip. I I know that a lot of the things I have been doing have helped my back. 
Sure. Certainly, yeah. but now is it like at the expense of my hip? And I don't know. And anybody who tells me that they do is suspect. Like I don't For know sure. that it's known. For sure. Yeah. Um, but it's it's worth. Um, I don't know. I think at the at the very, like especially with with yoga teachers, I think there's a reluctance to talk about pain because in some ways that might feel like we're failing because you know we haven't been able to miraculously live multiple decades in a human body without being perfectly blissed out all the time um but like being human's painful right like <laughs> Like what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? The, does the does the um, now? To be fair, I certainly I would imagine that if I didn't teach yoga, I would perceive less. And I, if I didn't do body work, there would be. Like, there's a certain amount of uh, stress that that puts on the body, um, especially if you're someone who demos a lot. I try not to demo a lot, but it's, it's, you know, you can't be perfect at that, right? And even when you do, like, are you doing every single standing pose that you ever demo with your right leg forward? Like, <laughs> these are things that, that start to come up. Or am I always using my left arm to put pressure into someone on the table? And the answer is yes. And I have to like hit myself a little bit every time I do that in a, in a less than skillful biomechanical way. Um, uh, so like that's a, that's a bit of a cost benefit analysis. It just is. Um, if this is something that you enjoy doing and you want to do with your life, then, you know, there are consequences for it. Uh, but that's true of anything. There are consequences to sitting behind a desk all day that might arguably be worse than the issue of teaching 10, 15 classes a week. Or at least different. Um, so I think the dialogue often around um, around injury from yoga is... way more way more complex than anyone wants to wants to make it because then they can't do their workshop about yoga for uh scoliosis or yoga for uh disc herniation or yoga for uh anxiety or yoga for like you know (laughs) if it's a complex conversation then it's harder to pigeonhole into something marketable Was that a moan of disagreement? No, I just I think you're right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Let me reword that. I'm comfortable with what I know. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with what I know. <laughs> um, okay, let's pivot. Pivot. That was a lovely digression. It was.
Um, and do reach out anybody if you have stories of surgery or pain or things that you feel like sharing. Um, or sup- or to- magical supplements and essential oils that'll cure me. Yes, if you if you have a a magical um, talisman that will heal labral tears. Yeah, I sound like I'm being <laughs> facetious, but look, I'll try all your weird hippie shit, and I'll try all the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so public speaking. You were on a little bit of a. Uh, panel discussion the other evening so french sounding (laughs) (laughs) it was hey i enjoyed i i took i took your class um and then i stayed for what was a very uh well attended um panel discussion at down under yoga oh it was fun i thought it was a joy Anything that gets me like angry and excited in a friendly way is is a great joy. My favorite thing was watching your eyebrows yeah. express themselves throughout <laughs> the <laughs> This is the thing I have just discovered. Other people can like keep their faces under control when they when they hear or smell bullshit they can like I they, cannot. They, their face is just like but like i looked out at, at a sea of people with like placid faces and i'm and like one or two people you're you know but here's what i think i think some people everybody's feeling different things you know big things but like they're able to marionette their face in such a way <laughs> that people don't know what they're thinking and yeah. i am not aware or I am, I don't <laughs> No, I mean, it's just, I have such a visceral response to life. Like I just, and shit people say or don't say that I can control my tongue, but I cannot control the tongues of my face. <laughs> the tongue, the many tongues of your face. Yeah, nope. That's the title of of this week's episode the many tongues of your face yeah the many tongues of your face that sounds like a bad collection of sci-fi poetry (laughs) that you you are about to get off the this recording and go write it's gonna be like it's gonna be a chat book so it's only gonna be like 13 poems and it'll be for sale only on amazon self-published for 5.99 great i love it. you can pre-order today (laughs) Uh, so, um, we could, I don't, I don't necessarily want to talk about the panel, but I do believe some form of it will be up on the, the interwebs at some point. Um, but I think the topic of the panel is worth delving into a little bit. Not that we haven't delved into this topic before, um, so the overwhelming thing that I you know let's acknowledge that first of all this is a long discussion about touch and power dynamic in in the yoga classroom and the history of it and the way forward and and you know, one ninety-minute panel discussion 
which was essentially an hour by the right by the time we got everybody yes in yes um is not going to do the trick right like it's just a it's just a drop in the drop in the bucket so uh did you feel pleased that at least the conversation was had oh my god or, yes or be- began to, to yeah. or started let's say that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> I do. I think that the gesture was really meaningful. And the fact that there were that many people in the room means people care about having a conversation. And I think every single one of the people on that panel had to be really brave and vulnerable to share some opinions that might be unpopular. And you know, or to, to like sit with the thing that they love that might cause other people pain. I, you know, I give them credit for that. Yes. Was it a yeah. perfect execution? No, but nothing ever is. I thought it was. Especially in this, in this particular subject matter. <laughs> I thought it was big hearted. And yeah. um, mostly that was because Justine led it with like a like, hey, I don't know. Here we go. Kind of energy, which is yeah. the only energy you can lead that kind of thing with. Is yeah. hey, I don't know, but but we're gonna we're gonna try, um, and I was really grateful to be a part of it because, like as I said when I first started, you know, to share my two cents is like I, those people on the panel have been teaching twice, sometimes three times as long as me, and I uh, I have always felt safe sharing my opinion because there's very little it's at stake for me. I'm in some ways in a kamikaze mission with my career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I recognize that there's a little bit of privilege that comes with that. But also, that's kind of part of the problem is people that feel the way I do don't often speak up about it, because there's too much at stake. You know, there's, I don't know, there's, they perceive it as losing the favor of senior teachers if they speak out against. Sure, sure, absolutely. Like, I mean, there are uh, times I talk to you, Ryan, and I'm like, oh, man, Ryan's might not agree with me on this. And, and it would be painful to – it would be painful to, like, lose your respect for an opinion I have or to mm-hmm. be teaching in a way that I somehow lose the esteem people I care and love about hold me at. Mm-hmm. You know, luckily – I don't have that many people that I hold in esteem and give a shit about their opinion enough that it can really hold me back. But like I do have a handful of people that I'd be, you know, I'd be bruised if. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel touched and honored that I am on that short list. But also, you know, I don't. Um, there have been a number of times. Uh, in the past year or so where, uh, without my knowledge, someone has labeled me as a quote unquote senior teacher. And, um, my first response is to like hide under a blanket in horror. Uh, (laughs) And then I have to like have, then I have to have a conversation with them being like, I am not senior. Like, it may seem that I am senior because relative to other humans that you know that are teaching yoga, I may have been doing this just ever so slightly longer. But there are people out there who have been doing this for much, much longer than I have. So let's like be careful about that that moniker. Um, uh, 
And that being said, I don't think, I think we do have to watch that the, that we see the, the benefits of talking about practice, not teaching, but practice with the folks who have been at it a lot longer because they just have more data to go by. Yeah. What's that um, data though? Tell me, wait, stop right there. What is the data you're referring to? They've practiced through more injuries. Okay. They've practiced okay. through more hard times in their life. Um, potentially they've, uh, watched their practice shift and change in an aging body. There you go. Okay. Yes. They, this is the debt. And this is the, like most people, when I say that go immediately to, well, just because they've been teaching for longer and I'm not talking about teaching, I'm talking about practicing. Um, because the, the, within the discussion of the delivery of the pedagogy, the playing field can be flattened more. And yes, there is some, um, benefit to having more teaching years under your belt because you've seen more bodies, you've seen, um, you've, uh, um, you've, you've developed a skill longer than someone who hasn't been teaching for that long. Uh, but then you've also developed habits that someone who's fresher to the practice might not have developed and might be able to see the flaw in, or at least think about it a better way to do it. So within the discussion of pedagogy, I'm all for leveling the playing field. And within the discussion of um, practice and receiving support uh, in terms of practice, I really do value the relationships that I have with people who have been practicing twice as long, three times as long, four times as long. Um, uh, how old's Tom and Bar maybe even five times as long as I have. Uh, and, and I think that that's the, that's the tricky, tricky thing that I, this is what I I'm going to throw out there though, to that point. I totally am on board with the more data of the, of, uh, of somebody practicing through more of life. Yeah, yeah, valuable. But that also implies that there is a uniformity of bullshit that happens across the average human life. And there's actually not. There are some people that live relatively bump-free, pretty healthy fucking lives. And yeah. there are some people that live 30 fucking lifetimes by the time they're 32. Absolutely. And 100%. so that's the part of me that's like, hey, I used to think that there was like an equal distribution of suffering. There is not. That doesn't mean that people don't experience their own suffering as sure. on the average, the average suffering. But to step back, uh-uh. Which is why I am I, I get I get bristly at just because somebody's been practicing for so long. I also look at things like economics. Have they had to fight for like have they ever experienced food insecurity? Have they experienced housing insecurity? Have they had kids? Have they had divorces? What's going on with their body? Like all of those things, they add up to me. And if somebody has lived a life of relative stability and comfort and been like, sh you know, shielded by the, um, uh, by a partner or by, you know, family wealth or something like, I don't think all of a sudden, because they've been practicing for decades and decades, like, uh, 
That's not what I'm saying, though. I know. I'm saying I'm saying that the the it's not just because they have all of that data. It's because they have had all of those years of practice, and there is a resonance and a trust and a caring relationship that is there that makes my conversations with those those teachers those practitioners valuable now can that trust be abused a hundred percent and you know knock on wood i i haven't really experienced uh anything traumatic in that regard um but it's not just because it's that they have all of that practice under their belt. It's that that is something that's worth paying attention to. And you might decide that, you know, this teacher isn't for me. Because, of course, like, I love and protect uh, and, and respect uh, certain teachers who have been teaching for a very long time. Um, and while at the same time know that they are not the teacher for me. That there is just something that is not, doesn't, doesn't link up there. Uh, and that's totally fine. Totally fine. And I can still be like, this person is, is by all accounts a great teacher. And I know many people that respect and learn a lot from them. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't um, speak to me. And, uh, that's that. Uh, so I think that beyond all of this, like it's neither this nor that it's neither that someone who's like, You know, if we are to actually have a discussion about what the yoga space looks like going forward in terms of power, in terms of touch, in terms of um, hierarchy, in terms of lack of hierarchy, you know, whatever the case may be, um, there has to both be a... uh, There has to be an understanding. I I think respect is the wrong word. An understanding that some of the things that that we are pushing against um, are very strong habits. And in a very benign way, I'm talking about the sort of like, do this, do this, do this, do this, turn your leg this way, turn your leg that way. This is the pose. Like those are very strong habits and not unwanted habits. There are plenty of people out there who, when they're going to a yoga class, they just want to be told what to do. Like, and beyond that, they just want to be told what to do. Um, uh, And that there is this encouragement towards a more uh, 
I'm trying not to use the word accessible because that bothers me, but I'm not coming up with a better word word for it. Um, but let's just say there's there's this movement to sort of really examine what's valuable in terms of this form and what maybe is just sort of old hat that we can kind of re-examine and 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 um, uh, maybe even decide to. Re- replace in the form because i don't think that there is a form of modern postural yoga that is has been totally examined and and uh all of the flaws have been worked through because i just don't think something like that could possibly exist but i think the conversation is important um and i think too often it gets thrown into this space of uh, everything that we've ever learned is awful. Let's throw this shit out and start over again. And then the same people who say that go in and start teaching Virabhadrasana too. And it's like, well, you're still doing the thing. <laughs> like you're still doing doing the yoga. And this is this is the tricky tricky thing. So I think while the the big conversations of of like what is the modern yoga space seem like overwhelming. I do think that touch is one space where we could, where a really concrete and useful discussion can happen. If we can just sort of like narrow in on that, that that is a, that is a, uh, um, not only worthwhile, but it seems um, to me anyway, a little more urgent as being someone who has been injured from assist before. Um, uh, not that I've ever seen anyone else do the assist that injured me, um, in a classroom before, uh, cause but thank God that isn't happening. Um, but for other people, the assists that they're getting injured from are like kind of common practice, right? Yes. Like the pushing on the, the sacrum in child's pose. Good God. Um, which I haven't been injured from before, but I've certainly walked around fine. Cause I don't know if you, last time you saw me practice, but my ankles do not, uh, plantar flex with any sort of, uh, facility. So I have certainly strained something there by being pushed on. Um, uh, other people's, uh, you know, it, it, there's any number of things, the, the sort of squashing someone, in Pashimottanasana, um, uh, too strong of a crank in uh, people in twists. Pose. Yeah, yeah, in, in a rotational pose. Uh, I just, you know, I think back to all of the quote unquote standard ways to assist that I learned. There was always this weird dynamic of we're going to learn an assist and they'd always say but the purpose isn't to take someone deeper into the pose and then i would look at every assist that we were doing and i'm like question <laughs> how does this assist do anything but take them deeper into the pose uh so i think what the question that i that i almost wanted to interject but was not moderating of course so didn't necessarily feel comfortable is 
instead of like I did going through a list of all of the things that could go, go wrong, what is the value of touch in a yoga context? Because would you agree that there is some value? No. You don't, in any context in which yoga is being taught. No, get rid of you... it. It's not clean. It's impure. <laughs> um, Look, get, get the fuck rid of it. I'm done. There's no, I, there is not one argument that I have not personally come to the conclusion causes more potential harm than good. There is not one example that I feel comfortable saying, yeah, green light on that in a public room. To be clear, so, public room. I'm not talking about a workshop. I'm not talking about a cohort situation where people are in the room with the same people for a period of time agreed on. I'm talking about a general public yoga class. There is not one instance of putting the hands on that I can think of that I will give an unabashed green light thumbs up that does more good than harm. I, so I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not looking for... So I think that that is a good part. Like if, if it was up to me there in foundational level, level teacher trainings, we should get rid of all discussion about hands-on assists because I think that that's, that's just, if we're really looking to put out teachers that are ready to go in front of the classroom and teach a safe, accessible series of, of breathing and moving practices, um, I, I think we can spend that time, um, on other things. That's just my personal opinion. However, I would say that there is value in touch. And I'm not saying that it should ever be an unabashed green light in any situation. Even on the even on the bodywork table where it's obviously a little bit more understood that there's going to be touch going on, there's still a, a tricky situation there. Um uh, and so I think of it this way. So how has touch been helpful to me as a student? When I can't feel something in my body and someone taps on a part of the body, not smacks it, but goes, hey, can you move here? That has been supremely helpful. Yeah, but why do they have to touch? Can't they point? If I'm in down dog, yeah. I how can I see my spine? So they couldn't point to the front of your body and say this on the other side. I mean, they could. They couldn't use However, their words would, efficiently enough. I would. I would say that there is a benefit to feeling the, and if it's not a tapping, a I'm holding my hand above your back. Can you lift into my hand? Yeah, I don't know. I I have found great value in that. I'm not saying that there's not another way to do it, but in my own practice, that has been valuable and has never felt. Um, and the times where that's felt uh, intrusive are times where even if they would have verbally said that to me, I would have been like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> So like that that's the tricky thing of like touch no touch like often when I'm in a space of like please don't touch me um I also don't want to be bothered period 
Like, I just don't want... I don't want the instruction. So that's that's where the whole argument is. It it, it doesn't feel all that black and white um, to me. Uh, I would also say that while this was certainly in a workshop context, if my teacher Jenny hadn't pulled me up into handstand to show me that my arms were in fact now strong enough after being injured to hold myself up, um, I would never have been able to get into inversion practice. Oh, no, that's not true. That just helped you. It wasn't a never thing. You can't know that. Sure. I, sure, I can't know that. But certainly within a month, I was like, oh, I can do this now. Um, and while that was a very like nerve-wracking moment to be picked up by somebody... Um, you know, and I'm not saying I'm just the only thing that I can speak from is my experience. So I'm not saying that like, yeah, go and pick somebody up into into handstand or you know, like I'm I'm just saying that there are there is a value to touch. And if each teacher needs to decide how they're going to interact with that. Um, how many and I'm saying this as a look. And some of, like, guns provide meals. Like maybe get them out of the classroom. Yeah, that's that's an extreme. It is, but this is an extreme situation. Like, I think what the touch you're talking about that should happen in a private classroom or in a cohort classroom. I don't think it's not valuable. I think it's valuable. It just doesn't belong in the public class. So then people have to pay more to get that type of attention. Yeah. And we can talk about the economics of why this is problematic, but we could also then pivot the conversation to how do you know when it's fucking okay to touch somebody? And is that a risk you're willing to take? Because maybe they'll get the benefit of lifting their low back more in a downward dog. Well, how do you know that it's, it's beneficial to teach someone bridge pose? Okay, that is not comparing apples to apples. That is that is no, the beginning. Saying, that is the like, beginning of uh, what's the word? Gaslighting. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I don't think that's no. I, but I'm saying I I can't know. And and I'm saying I'm saying all of this, Kate. From I, I can't remember the last time outside of a one on one or teacher training context that I gave manual assist in a, in a group classroom. Um, maybe, uh, more of the assist that I discussed of like, can you move your hand and can you move your hand into my hand? Can you move your shoulder into my hand? Can you lift your back into my hand? Absolutely. That, that I do, you know, somewhat regularly, but to actually like go in and do a adjustment, like I would, uh, or, or a manipulation like I would do on someone on a massage table. Uh, no, I, I, I just steer clear of that. And the more people that are in the room, the less I'm likely to do that. Yeah. I, you know, here's um, the thing. Some of the very best hands-on adjusts and assists I have gotten have been through people I have a relationship with. So, and I, and have been in the context of a teacher training or a workshop or a cohort scenario. Those are the ones where I have remembered it. And like, I actually think of one you gave me once years and years ago for Pasimotanasana. And it was the hand starts at the low back and 
you breathe, lengthen, relax, and then you walk your hand up, you know, just your fingertips mm-hmm. up a few vertebra, breathe, lengthen, relax. And you do that the whole length of the spine. And the next thing you know, you're in this, like, there's a depth of the shape that I would not have gotten into otherwise. Mm-hmm. But the context of that touch was one in which, A, I had a relationship with you. Absolutely. Yeah. This was not like you would have done that to me uh, and I, it was on in my a, first it was or in second class with you. And I think it was in lab. Yeah, it was in a practice context. Lab. Yeah. It was in a unique context. It wasn't in like a public. Class. Yes. Just and so that, that people, know, people listening know that practice lab is a like, mm, I don't want to say the word Mysore because it's not really that. Right. Um, <laughs> it's it's a a context in which people are doing their own practice in discussion with me, and then there is a understanding that I am going around the room and and assisting verbally uh, and manually if uh, and and. Uh, prop wise as as the case is needed and as the discussion continues over the course of the class so this is in a you know it, it is it's a fairly unique yeah. unique context cohort workshop and yeah. so the the take the takeaway for me is there are really skillful teachers out there that can do hands-on adjusts and assists that i think can be deeply deeply positive but there are so many teachers out there doing injury to their students, are uh, activating nervous systems into fight or flight mode, and are just really half-assing, putting their hands on another body that I think for now, just taking it off the table for a public class while we get our shit together fucking as yoga teachers is like an okay thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't really know what getting your shit together looks like. I don't that's, either. That's, that's the my uncertainty. that's my cons- not concern, but that's my um. And I agree that because, like, had I been, how many people did did you have in your class last Friday? That was that was a pretty full room. It must have been twenty five. Um. Ish. Yeah. No, it was like thirty or so. Oh, thir- okay. I would never have, I would have done exactly what you did. I would have sat in front of the room and instructed because it would have been too overstimulating for me to do anything else. Um, and, and that's, that's how I would have, would have approached that class. Um, but yeah, I guess the tricky thing is, is it does the, the more that I think about it, so much of my understanding of my own body has and my ability to feel clearly in my own body has come at the benefit of some really skilled manual practitioners yeah and most of the time that was in the context of either a one-on-one or a small group mm-hmm. setting but not all of the time um yeah like once in a while a super skillful person can come into a room with 60 people and give you a unique hands-on adjust or assist and you're like holy fucking shit i did not know my you know my thoracic could do xyz yes um and like should we take that away from people or only give that to people that can afford it 
No, and, yeah, and that's, that's not that's, fair. I totally am on board with that. But it's like it's just such a risky thing to eventually balance the benefit of that awareness with the potential harm. And when yeah. you start weighing the potential harms it could cause, to me, it tips the scale so far so fast that I have to, in my head, sacrifice the the benefit of somebody being able to touch a place on my spine and get me two more years down the road in terms of like rotational awareness. Like, okay, maybe it just takes longer to get certain places but i'm in no fucking rush if it means no yeah. harm but to be to be clear i'm also not meaning like it's tricky it, like so many it is it is very hard to when one is giving a manual assist in which you're like moving i'm not talking about like holding somebody um I'm talking about like moving, um, <laughs> uh, manipulating the, the body, uh, where you could very purely not have in your mind the, your perception of the end goal of the pose, because we all learned yoga with the point of view of this is where this pose ends. You know what I, is that, I, I don't think I'm explaining this right. Say it again. Um, I, I have to, even whether I'm working with someone one-on-one one -on -one or I'm working with someone on the table, I have to check myself constantly and remind myself that the way that I was habituated to postural practice was that the some large amount of the purpose of doing pervert to parsvokanasana was to get my left shoulder blade to the outside of my right knee and plant that hand flat down on the floor as I looked up into my armpit. Good God. Like, <laughs> like, there is some part of me, even though I've spent years now trying to, like, deprogram that to say, like, okay, this is a form that I know. What usefulness could this form have in terms of awareness practice? Which usually ends up with me, like, five miles away from that end result. And with my back heel up off the floor and my hand on a block or two and like nowhere near hooking the arm over the front leg. Um, uh, but I would be lying if there isn't some like deep programming that's like, this is the shape. This is where we go now. <laughs> go there. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's not that I feel, find myself trying to impose that on other folks but i just have to keep that always like i have to be hyper vigilant of that because i find myself doing that in my own practice um and then being like wait there you know there there is something to be said for quote unquote challenging or progressing in the context of yoga practice but i just that that has become such a small and almost accidental percentage of the uh, intention of my yoga practice, um, uh, that, uh, I don't want to say I, I throw it all out completely because sometimes I, I do like, like, oh, wow, I can do this now. I couldn't do this before. How cool. Um, but it's, it's just kind of like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to communicate that that's the goal. 
I want to communicate that feeling and understanding and being able to uh, perceive how your body is moving through space and what the particular sensations that you are perceiving in your body mean um, uh, to you uh, is way more important than where the pose is. And of course, it is helpful to do that in poses that are forward bending, backward bending, turning, side bending, etc. Right? Absolutely worthwhile. But um, we all have this, like, original programming of light on yoga. Mm-hmm. That, I, you know, is a fabulous thing to, like, I, it's not saying that I wish we didn't have it. It's, like, great that that was made at one point. But we do have to grapple with that original programming a little bit. Um, and oftentimes I feel like where touch goes wrong in the context of a public class is when that original programming is being enforced. Agree. Um, and then, of course, there's... Like, there's the truth that I've been smacked on the ass in countless uh, Iyengar yoga classes. What? And it didn't particularly bother me. Yeah, it didn't bother you. No, but that's what I'm saying is, like, it. It. I'm not saying that to say that it shouldn't bother somebody. I'm saying that to, 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 to have on the table the variability of nervous system. Um, and that, you know, you, one might assume as a teacher that if you do one even gentle assist to somebody and they sort of like melt, that it is not out of the realm of possibility for you to do the same gentle assist to somebody and they like punch you in the face, punch you in the face. Exactly. Like that we, there is no way for us to, with any sort of certainty, know what how our touch is going to be received. And so in that mode, I do agree that, especially in the public class setting, that it's worth worthwhile to, to pull back. And I, and I noticed that a lot of teachers do that naturally as they, as they teach for longer. Um, but I think it would be an interesting thing just throwing it out there. Um, if, especially for people who are habituated towards giving hands-on assists in yoga class, uh, to just take a month and don't. Thank you. Yes. Just to see what, and you could even you could even announce it to your class and just kind of see. Because the truth is, is so many of them have probably, especially if you're someone who assists a lot, like I think of this in the, um, when people are doing a, um, words, Ryan, uh, like a supine twist. And there's that, especially if the knees are stacked, there's that old school thing of like pressing on the thigh, pressing on the shoulder. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. And inevitably what happens when someone presses on the thigh and presses on the shoulders, as soon as they release the pressure, 
the shoulder and the knee come up to exactly the same space that they were <laughs> a moment ago. It like doesn't actually do much other than the benefit of a potential benefit of pressure or the potential detriment of pressure. Um, and especially in someone's class where there's a lot of hands-on assisting going on, most people have received that assist enough that you could just be like, just imagine that your leg and your arm are getting heavier. Like, imagine if you like the assist, just imagine it was happening and see how your nervous system responds. Cause oftentimes when I say that to a room, I see like half the room just kind of like shoulder and leg just kind of drop down to the floor. Because they have that as a sense memory, and they don't actually need the application of pressure to to have the effect. Um, but I do think it would be an interesting an interesting thing to just pull off the table. Not to say that this is inherently bad, but to say this is a thing that happens in yoga classes, and let's just see what it feels like if we don't. And you could do the same thing with if music and any music, yeah, thing. With any anything that is habitual about the the yoga practice. Um, I do think that we need to make sure and um, that we're labeling classes appropriately. I think that that's a a step in the right direction. Is if somebody is looking at a public schedule of classes, there's some indication whether or not hands-on assist might be offered. What do you think of that? Oh. Would you, oh, so are you saying that the notification or the not notification, the icon or the whatever it ends up being, the um, is indicating a class where there will be or where there won't be or both? I mean, I think it could be like if there's a teacher that knows that they are assuredly going to be doing this every class they have it's just how they teach that should be on the schedule is this will be a thing and if there's a teacher that's like hey i have committed my teaching practice to teaching without the use of touch uh they should be able to label their classes such um and then the absence of a moniker in either way could mean maybe sometimes they do sometimes they don't i like the idea of a teacher being able to assert if assertion is of value to them, you know? Um, because I think if people aren't familiar with the studio or the teachers and they're coming in with trauma and they know for sure one thing that they want is to be touched, like that's what they need, then they can go to a class where that's in the description. And if they know for sure that what's best for them is to be in a space where that's off the table, I think that's good information for them to have because then it peels away the layer of them needing to communicate to a teacher, hey, I just, I don't have it in the tank today to be touched. Please don't touch me. Does, does having a, some sort of marker of yes, hands-on assist potentially create an issue if someone goes into that class and then doesn't get touched? I think if there's communication about what those monikers mean. So for example, you have a key, just like any map where we've got a little picture of a hand and then at the bottom it's an explanation of what the hand means it says something to the effect of this class sometimes offers hands-on assists and adjusts that doesn't mean that you are guaranteed an assist or adjust it just means this is something that takes place in the classroom and i think that's a key element of that it's just information just be clear that it doesn't mean you're getting a massage (laughs) 
Because yes. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, and yeah. that's that's the that's the other thing is like people's expectation of hands-on assistance in a yoga class is All different depending on where there are classes where people get foot rubs and 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 oh, uh, neck rubs neck rubs and and all of that jazz and i haven't done that i'm sure no i don't think i've ever done that <laughs> um but then there are classes in which maybe hands-on assistance is offered but more in the form of like Can you feel this here? Can you move this here? Um, and yeah, I just think there there would need to be quite a bit of education on the uh, like on the front end. And I don't think it would be that hard. I don't think it's much different. I don't think it would like be a either. Heated, I, a heated studio having yeah, to provide I, some detailed information of like, yes, bring water, <laughs> wear some yeah, yeah, yeah. sweat-proof clothes or whatever. I think it's doable. Um, but again, I'm not a studio owner. Yeah, I also just wonder, does there then... And this this may actually not not be a bad thing. I'm just one... Like, I'm just thinking, I have, like, my studio owner hat on saying, okay, if I had a group of teachers that was really passionate about the, like, their hands-on is a way that we teach, and we were going to market like that, not, like, market on the schedule as such, like you're saying, um, I would personally feel a little bit uncomfortable with that unless those humans had some sort of um licensing ding 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 am i am i off on that no not at <laughs> fucking all one of the reasons why i am like a huge advocate of the work that nicole clark does is because nicole clark has training and fucking like decades of experience yeah with hands on and has been like through supervision and like, of course she's allowed to do that. Yes. You know, and yeah, of course yeah. she has a different skill set. Yes. So I don't want, you know what I mean? Like, so yes. And I think what she's doing is really interesting too, because one of the reasons she has hands on in her public classrooms is because of accessibility and affordability of body work. When she was doing it in California and in low income communities who couldn't afford a private with her, she'd be like, come to my class. And I can work sure, on you. Yeah, yeah, and so exactly. like, who am I to be like, no, 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 don't do that. But do you see the, the specific set of circumstances that have come together to create that? It's not somebody that did a 200 hour and is like, yeah, and I'm going to heal you with my magic fucking hands. Yes. Yes. So yes, uh, the Nicole Clarks of the world, the Ryan Cunninghams of the world, and I'm sure there's others, but there ain't that many. Yeah. That's my concern. Yeah. There ain't that many. <laughs> and and to be honest, like if I could snap my fingers tomorrow, and uh, I would have a practice lab program like that again, it would look very different than the way we did it the first time. Um, but that would be the mode in which there would be much more teaching with my hands, though not for everybody, because it could get to be a 
discussion, right? Like, cause I'm, you know, it would be a small group of folks. Um, and, uh, that to me is always how you, you sort of bridge the gap of, of, uh, you know, like not everybody needs to come in and spend an hour on the table. A lot of people just like, and not, not even everyone is desiring that, but like oftentimes, like the few times that my teacher has actually taught group asana classes and just the sort of, uh, hands-on feedback that I get in those formats is like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. This is actually almost better than being on the table because it's happening in the midst of me moving around. Um, uh, so I, I think there's, there's room for it, but I do agree that a more specific set of circumstances is required to, and a more specific set of training is required for that to be on the table. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if within the next, uh, number of years that some, some sort of license to, uh, some sort of secondary license starts to become more standard across the the industry to have have teachers touching folks. That's all Mama wants. Um, <laughs> I do think that those secondary programs should be better and more accessible. Um, so that's another conversation because not everybody has a you know. A year to go crazy taking a massage course. I think if you just want to be able to offer meaningful hands-on assist in the context of a group asana class, that there maybe could be a training that is a little uh, less um, intense and a little bit less, uh, a little bit more appropriate to the context. Um, but I do think that a more training. Uh, would be beneficial. I just don't know what the hell that training looks like. <laughs> well, maybe it's on uh, our generation to figure that out. I think it is. Yeah. No, I, I, I. That is that is one thing that that I can be certain about is that I that I do think it is up to up to our generation to be clear about um, that, and it's it's up to our generation to evolve what a classroom looks like in general. And in my mind, evolve what different types of classrooms look like. You know, I, I think that we need to expand beyond. There's a classroom where you can go and take a class with Kate on Monday night. At, I don't actually know when you teach anymore. but <laughs> Monday night, you know, 6 o'clock. Mon Monday night at 6 o'clock. Okay, I was right there. Uh, and then that... You know, and, and like, I don't, I think part of this too is evolving the context of a, of yoga learning from there's that, and then there's teacher training. Like, yes, go get led through a class on Monday night. Yes, there is a pedagogical program that prepares you to teach, but there's a huge gap of stuff that could happen in the middle um, that I also think uh, is, is worth developing as well yeah 
and all of this requires a, some major amount of disruption that I don't always have the juice <laughs> to do. But sometimes I do. <laughs> Every once in a while. It's in the tank. Every once in a while. Um, okay, well, I think that's been unrolled. I think so, have, too. I, I, unless you have another song to provide us with. I can't make you love me if you don't. That's how my sister sings when we're singing jokingly. You can't make your heart feel something it won't. Okay. Fantastic. They don't make water hot enough to wash that off. (laughs) I really think you should just start singing at random intervals throughout your yoga class. Uh... I do. <laughs> I I did not receive a song last Friday. I'm offended. Look, it was so woven into the fabric of my offering. You didn't even experience it as a song. You experienced it as just like rest. <laughs> that is the grossest thing you've ever said. <laughs> is it? No, okay. assuredly not. Assuredly not. <laughs> Um, okay, well, bye. Bye.